Hello everyone, I am Özlem Özkan from Amsterdam and I have an announcement. My book The Students is getting published in September 2020, so in only a month. So The Student is a memoir and self-awareness book. In The Student I am shedding some light on my inner journey of getting to know myself. It explores a human heart and mind. The student will take you to different parts of the world, such as Japan, where I learned about kindness, to Denmark, where I harshly faced my own judgments, to Istanbul, a city which I admire, to the airplane where I created panic attacks, and to my childhood spent in the Netherlands. This book will take you on a fascinating journey into the inner world and to things that you may have never admitted to yourself. It will make you unravel the debates of who you are. This book is definitely not a handbook about how you should live your life, but it's a travel guide through a lived life. While society is constantly presenting us with choices, you might find yourself searching for vital answers. The student, with its universal topics, may resonate if you have ever wondered who you are. By the time you finish reading, you may have discovered new and deeper layers within yourself. In a society where we are afraid to show our true selves and try to be like someone who is anything but ourselves, the student shows us what it can look like to break free and be your true self coming very soon it's Oislam Özkan and this is Bridging a podcast which will take you on a bridge to somewhere else sometimes somewhere familiar and sometimes somewhere new in Bridging I interview life experts with a story to share stories of entrepreneurship cultural diversity self-empowerment personal growth and other topics that shape our universe. My guest today is Mark Withwell. Mark is originally from New Zealand, but is nowadays based in California. He teaches yoga and trains newly yoga teachers in Bali and in Fiji. I reached out to Mark to learn more about the real meaning of yoga and what kind of effect yoga can have on our own lives. Well, as my teacher said, you're the hope of humanity. You won't be exploited by anybody. You're not second to anyone and you're not superior to anyone. All of that is just a social thought structure, a mind contrivance that's not there at all. You know, you are your own authority, your own power of life. And yoga is your embrace of that fact. Yoga is direct embrace of life as it is. To the power of this cosmos that beats your heart and moves your breath and sack, that grows your hair and allows your perceivers to perceive, and, you know, that is life itself. Yoga is the embrace of that. Yoga is the embrace of all tangible and intangible conditions of our real life. It's the intimacy with real life and with each other. You know, one in five women suffer this, you know, they hate their body because it doesn't look like the cover of a magazine. It doesn't look like the cover of the yoga journal. And then they whip themselves along in these systems. Mother Nature has no straight lines. Mother Nature is all spirals and curves, roundness. And that is the human body. Mark Withwell, welcome to bridging the podcast thank you so much uh, for your time good to see you Islam. good to see you too mark you are now in yeah. fiji in an island in the pacific ocean and uh, you have been a student of krishnamacharya i hope i say it right do i say it right yes beautiful you did yes yeah exactly yes. The, the, the yoga teacher of the modern world from India, actually. And um, I, I have heard about you when I was in Bali in the yoga barn. And you are uh, giving uh, 
teacher trainings for yoga teachers, for people that want to become yoga teachers. And um, I really wanted to do this conversation with you because I am based in Amsterdam and uh, Amsterdam is a nice city. A lot of things are really cool to do here, but everything is also very fast. There's a lot of going on. But when I was in Bali or when I was in any other spiritual journey in another city, country, everything was kind of chilled down. But when I go back home to Amsterdam, everything moves again. And I actually would like to start with my first question to you, like open the conversation with what is your relationship with yoga? Wow. How big is that question? <laughs> it is very big. So, you know, usually I have a lot of questions prepared, but usually with the first question, we just go somewhere. You can say, what is my relationship with the ocean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I jump in and I swim. That's my relationship to the ocean. So yoga was the, um, before there was even the idea of, religion before there was the idea of doctrine before there was humanity had created sort of tribal groups one over against the other in in an ancient world of geographies that had no association with each other at all uh, developed over thousands of years wisdom culture you can you might say that you know in Humanity in all times and all geographies had their own expression and participation in truth. Because, you know, truth is the nature of who we are, what we are. You know, here is truth. <laughs> Mother Earth, life on Earth, life in the cosmos. You might, truth is a word that we can put to it. And so truth is expressed through all different times and cultures and geographies on this earth. And for thousands of years, you know, in this Veda culture, Veda means knowledge or truth, uh, yoga evolved and flourished in the ancient world uh, right up until it got codified in a great body of uh, literature between the 5th and the 13th century in India and Tibet, you see. So this is the weights of yoga. It's one of our human treasures, you know. But I'm also pointing out it's not exclusive to this truth expressed, this knowledge in culture, in wisdom culture, is not confined to Veda or to India or anywhere. It's me being from New Zealand, you know, a Polynesian people, the Maori people indigenous to New Zealand, for example. They have a deep, rich culture. Yes a wisdom spiritual culture that's as relevant today as it ever was. And uh, say the, the great Hebrew culture and the, the wisdom coming through Kabbalah, you know, for example. And then the later developments of Western philosophy and religious thought, you know, of, uh, in the liturgy of, of Christian faith, for example, or of Islam, uh, the Abrahamic, traditions, you know, there's great beauty uh, expressed in those worlds. And it's not appropriate for us humans to turn it into tribalism and division between us. You know, they, everything is relevant, of course. Now, we must share it. But you see, I dove, dove into the ocean of yoga that was the, um, the beauty of uh, human knowledge and wisdom from thousands of years ago, way back, 5,000 BC and before. Mm -hmm. The Bhagavad Gita was, you know, 5,000 years ago. But how did even human culture get to the point where it could express the beauty and the wisdom of that beautiful yoga text? There was a lot that went before. You know, we don't know how long before. You know, 10,000 years maybe. So this is how I see yoga and the importance of yoga for humanity. You, when, I, when I personally only hear the word yoga, 
especially 12 years ago when I just started doing yoga, I was like, you know, it is kind of a movement in the body that you do yeah. on a mat. And there are different kind of yogas. And I felt it is connected to a religion, to Hinduism or to Buddhism, like a life philosophy. Like, how do you see that? Can you do your yoga even though you are a Muslim, Christian or uh, Jew? Like, you can, of course, do it. But how is the connection of yoga between all the different religions and life philosophies? Beautiful, important question. Thank you, Islam. It's very important to understand that yoga is a separate philosophical system and practice that was universally taken up in the ancient world because it was useful to every kind of language group and a, a religious point of view. And it flourished in the ancient world right up to the 13th century because it was useful to every kind of person. And Krishnamacharya, in his scholarship, is, as a scholarly statement, must be understood that yoga is not religion, but it is useful to all religions for as the uh, practical means for every ordinary person to actualize the beautiful ideals expressed in sacred text, mm. expressed in Quran, expressed in Kabbalah, expressed in Bible. So actualize the text express in sacred sacred text actualize yes. the beauty of uh, in the of text the, yeah they that's the way it always was in veda and you know veda is this vast body of ancient literature and the first uh, written literature of humanity and it goes into great trouble great depth in many 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 ancient books to say that to define yoga as the means of for ordinary people to actualize the beauty of the rishis of the seers of the wise people that had gone before who revealed the veda through their own realization and it was yoga was the practical means is it possible to um Give an example to show it in a more practical way. Like, you know, I can feel what you are saying, actualizing the beauty in a sacred text. But for the people that might be a little bit difficult to maybe understand, is there, is there an example that you can give of any sacred text in any religion or just maybe a philosopher even? Uh, and that you say like, with yoga, you can actualize the yeah. beauty of it well I'm there many many in my lifetime of teaching I, I just uh, know so many people who were serious um, religious practitioners or spiritual practitioners uh, whether that be Buddhism or Christianity or Islam or Hinduism who started a yoga practice and it totally fired up their understanding of their own liturgy, their own uh, religious practice. Mm. Um, for example, I think of an example. I had a um, Christian nun in uh, New Zealand, and she was her sister Cecily, is her name. And she came to me for yoga, and she'd been at that point in her life struggling with the church, you know, the suppression of women and, you know, women cannot uh, be priests and so forth, you know, and you can't marry to, you know, all the rest of it. And she, she had a big argument with her church and she was unhappy. And she began her yoga. And after a few weeks, she came and said, wow, thank you, Mark. I, I've, I've stopped arguing with the Pope. He is wrong, but I'm not troubled. I can have my say. You know, these women, this men got it wrong, but I'm not fighting. I'm moving and breathing. I'm doing whole body prayer to life. And I'm loving my life and I'm loving my Lord. And I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, I'm furthermore the patron saint of my order. It turns, I saw him in nine different postures of prayer. And she said, I realized that he was a yogi too. And so she became 
as I said, this yoga is the practical means to actualize the depth of the beautiful messages that come through religious culture. And it must be there. How about, uh, Mark, like, you know, in Europe, uh, especially the western and northern part of Europe, like the Scandics, uh, the Netherlands, Germany, France maybe too, and also different parts of Europe, a lot of people are not religious. They yeah. Maybe they grew up with Christian values or not. They, they are not uh, religious. So how could they, how do you see that yoga in their life? Because they might maybe not read a sacred text. They might not see it as sacred even. Right. Well, I understand. And see, this, this bottom line consideration is that yoga must be adapted with respect to each person who asks for yoga. We must respect that person, their body type, their age, their health, and the culture from which they come. Now, atheism, for example, yes. in the secular world of, of the West and anywhere, you know, everywhere, uh, to be an atheist is a point of view, a strongly held point of view. So if someone comes for yoga who's an atheist, that must be respected. That become atheists for very good reasons. You know, you know this yourself in your own life. You had to reject some of the nonsense of uh, patterned, vulgar behavior that has come through uh, religious orthodoxy, through male orthodoxy, telling people how to live their lives. Yes. So it must be rejected. And, you know, a lot of people throw out everything. You know, don't talk to me about God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or leave me alone, you know. Don't talk to me about enlightenment. And they just, you know, they live their downtown secular lives. But you speak to each one of those people and they all want to, they've all got hopes and dreams and, and needs and desires. And yoga will fulfill the needs and desires of an atheist without bringing in religious language, without bringing in God or enlightenment. And so we must respect the point of view that everybody has. Regardless if you're religious or an atheist or an yes, agnostic totally. or any. Yeah. We must respect each life, the bottom line is. We must respect every person because every person is alive as life. Everybody's valid here, you know. Everybody has arrived here, so they must be respected, you know. They're, everybody is an authentic life. They're very, you know, a real life. So we must respect real life. So what you said initially, like yoga actualized the beauty of sacred texts. Can we also add to that actualize the beauty of humans? I mean, regardless of whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever you believe, atheist, believer, like actually Ru Rumi says that too, like, you know, come whoever you are, come. Even if you have done so many things that maybe you were not right for you, just come back. Yeah. And, you know, Uzla, my teacher would have one look at you and say, you are the hope of humanity because you can stand for this. You see, the, the respect of every life, every creature, respecting, you know, everyone because they are alive as life and this is like you know you, you you're the hope of humanity because you won't be uh, exploited by any belief system and put into tribalism where you uh, sort of feel like you're superior to somebody else who's not in your tribe and all that terror that's been put on humanity and you know you you coming from a you know the great uh, religion of love the great faith of love which is islam and you you understand this you see you take the heart of your faith and uh you won't be exploited by any patterning in the, you know the gross duplication of patterning that comes through the transmission of behaviors of mere behavior mere patterning that is the civilization that we've ended up with and you won't have anything to do with that and i commend you to do that for doing that Yeah, thank you for doing that. You are the hope of humanity. And I mean it, really. Yeah, I can feel you, Mark. Yeah, yeah. And so then you've stumbled into this 
yoga communication by stumbling into Bali and you feel something about it. Yes, yes. And uh, that's what we hold for humanity and can give to you. Uh, your own yoga, which was the pre-doctrinal spiritual practice of humanity that came through thousands of years of wisdom in the Veda. And yoga is given to you anciently as your means of participation in this that you are, in reality as it is, in life as it is. See, and it connects people to their faith that they may have legitimately rejected or for you know, good reasons, reject the religion of their parents, which is a common story. <laughs> but I can tell you that many people who take up yoga um, are moved then to reinvestigate the culture of their ancestors. Yes, yes. And come to it from a non-dogmatic, non-belief-only point of view, and that yoga is a catalyst that enables a person to do that. You know, I have been there myself. You know, I grew up as a Muslim. My parents taught me the values of the Islam. I went to the Turkish mosques in the Netherlands. And yeah. I had really many nice moments. But I had also moments that especially like things that are not allowed. Like how that was brought up. That was for me always like, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. That was kind of bringing me also in stress. and. Yeah. The more I started reading about different religions, the philosophies, also a lot from Jalaluddin Rumi, I really fell in love with some basic values such as compassion, non-judgments, love, tolerance, um, sharing your stuff with other people. That really brought me to the, the deep values of the religion I learned when I was a child, but it was it was very different back then. But beautiful. Going a little bit back to yoga, eh, Mark, like you said initially, and everyone has a different body type, different need, different unique actually each person. So there are so many types of yoga. Like in Amsterdam, there are many yoga schools. You know, there's Ashtanga yoga, there's Hatha, there is Yin. What is like, how do we as human beings in a world that we are so overwhelmed with a lot of information, a lot of types of yoga, how do we choose what is the right for us? You have to understand that yoga was co-opted by the West, particularly the US, but then it's gone all the way through Europe and, and all over the world and even back into India. There's this... Uh, uh, Western obsession with beauty and gymnastics and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And there's no, it's not valid at all. It's just, you know, my teacher called it, you know, at best it's mediocre gymnastics that's been turned into uh, commodity in business. Now, what I'm saying to you is that this has been popularized as brand and style and business. And it's gone all around the world. And yes. it's completely dissociated from uh, the yoga tradition, the wisdom tradition. And it's, it's an aberration. And, you know, it's even dangerous for people to do that on themselves. It wears the joints out. It creates a nervous disorder in the system. And, you know, we're slowly uh, in the West uh, beginning to question it, its, its whole validity. And I'm saying it's not valid. It's just more of the same, you know, exploiting the gullible public with um, shiny objects. It's just selling people stuff, you know, and putting them on, this, on, on the merry-go-round of effort towards a future result. See, yoga is not a struggle to attain a future result. Yoga is direct intimacy with life as it, as it already is, mm -hmm. the beauty of life that is already given. Yeah, you know, everybody is the power of the cosmos. Everybody is pure intelligence, how life is functioning. Everyone is unspeakable beauty. That is how Mother Nature is. Everything in the natural world is utter beauty. And everybody is that beauty. I have to admit something, Mark. Like when I first attended uh, a yoga class in Istanbul, I was living back in Istanbul in 2009, I think. I came in the yoga class. I never had did yoga myself 
and then you know i am not uh, how do you, i'm not really flexible in general and i saw all these flexible bodies very skinny tiny wo- yeah. women and i was like oh my god this is nothing for me because i am not flexible you know i am one meter 78 and not flexible and i was like i don't really fit in this lifestyle what you just said about that being modernized or like or maybe even deceived of what it actually is yeah now look it's a common story that experience that you had is the experience of many millions of people they go to one yoga class and then they reject it yes because i think i may be fat you know you know i'm too big for this all these uh, everyone is super flexible you know then this is nothing for me i should just yeah. keep going with running or swimming what i do yeah so look so far it's been the activity of a uh, sort of a privileged lifestyle in the us it's sort of leisure class money class mainly white you know um thin body type yes um, o- obsession and it's not healthy at all. It's sort of a lifestyle activity, and it's been mixed up with fashion. You know that fashion has jumped on it, and it's become a vehicle to sell people product. You know, mm-hmm. and it's played right into it, the uh, body dysmorphic dysfunction, which is a, a psychiatric illness that people suffer. You know, one in five women suffer this. You know, they hate their body because it doesn't look like the cover of a magazine. It doesn't look like the cover of the yoga journal. And then they whip themselves along in these systems. I have been there, Mark. Yeah. You know, Mother Nature has no straight lines. Mother Nature is all spirals and curves, roundness. And that is the human body. How would you have a healthy relationship with yoga? What, what is, again, like, how would you choose the best form yoga that is for you? Well, it's just that it's a much more um, sincere matter as to, you know, yoga is not something that you do. Everybody, you know, one size fits all. You all go into a room with some bossy man who tells everybody, you know, parades up and down like they're, you know, the world's famous gymnasts, you know, there's been a lot of them. And then the women become enamored by that and then they do the same thing. You know, the women are also passing on this misogynism and tricking people into a struggle to get to a future result. Yoga is not that. Yoga is direct embrace of life as it is. The power of this cosmos that beats your heart and moves your breath and sex that grows your hair and allows your perceivers to perceive and, you know, that is life itself. Yoga is the embrace of that. Yoga is the embrace of all tangible and intangible conditions of our real life. It's the intimacy with real life and with each other. It's the intimacy with your breath in particular. And this is the thing that's been left out of the popular um, co-opting of yoga and turning it into commercial activity that happened in the West just in the last three or four decades. You know, it's, it's a world gone wrong in that regard. So the principles that... See, Krishnamacharya was a very extraordinary scholar of the wisdom traditions of his own world. And he brought through this yoga with a great clarity and how you do postures you know how you the technology of the asana is very specific but somehow because of the branding of yoga and turning it into business even his own young students didn't represent what he taught at all so he sort of got ignored in the popularization of yoga but now we put it back and i can tell you that many many people who have done these popular styles of yoga and realized the, uh, the dead end of it, have put, begun to put the principles that came through Krishnamacharya, that not his, you see, he brought it through from the wisdom traditions. In a way, he rescued it from obscurity. You know, humanity was not aware of it at all. It had been confined to very isolated sort of hermitage places in Tibet. It doesn't, didn't exist anymore. 
And he went and lived in Tibet for seven and a half years as a young man. He lived with his guru and his guru's family. And he learned it. And then he brought it back into Mysore. And the Maharaja Mysore, the king, he became his patron and his student. He said, I, I need yoga. My family needs yoga. My people need yoga. And a, he was a beautiful model of how the secular must serve the sacred. The power structures of this world must serve this giving of yoga, the giving of intimacy, the giving of health to all people, to give them their birthright, to be intimate with life as it actually is. Power of the cosmos, the intelligence, the beauty, the harmony that is intrinsic to all life. It's how Mother Earth is functioning. Yeah. And the secular power structures, like the great Maharaja Mysore, you know, must see this. It's how we're going to get out of these dreadful pandemics that are upon us of, um, you know, colonial cruelty to indigenous people and the virus, you know, to bring health into the system. And it's the principles that Krishnamacharya brought forth are, are all about the body's participation in its own breath. That's the secret of yoga that hasn't been revealed and popular. Can you repeat that one more time, uh, Mark? The, uh, the great um, uh, secret of yoga is the body's love of its own breath. Mm, body's the love, love of, of its own breath. Yeah, the body loves its breath, you see. It's a profound biological, energetic harmony, this body with air and this great lung system that we have and the blood system and the heartbeat and then, then the mind that arises from life as a function of life. So yoga is this each person's participation in their own breath and the union of the inhale, which is receptivity, with the exhale, which is strength. So each person's yoga is their own participation with the nature of life as it actually is, that all of life is strength that is utterly receptive. That's what life is. Yeah. That's what a tree is. A tree has a strong trunk, strong ascending, but then it has absolutely soft foliage that is receiving, receiving the nurturing. You see, this is the nature of all existence, and as well as a human body. And yoga is simply the participation in that arrangement of Mother Nature of God. So this participation you know, with my own breath, I did when I was in Bali uh, in September. I was, you know, in Ubud, in the yoga barn, and it was such a nice surrounding in, mid in the middle of nature. A lot of people around me were very also very chilled, relaxed. Yeah. And uh, I have done uh, for 10 days their yoga every morning, in the evening. And just also, I was in a flow. It wasn't like that I said, I need to do it tomorrow morning or this evening. It just, it just happened. I was such in a flow. And also what you initially said, I was, mm, I was actualizing the sacred text or for me, my connection with God by doing yeah. a lot of yoga. I am a big believer of God. For me, that is Allah. And uh, I, I could connect to it, him, she, I don't know, the gender. There's no gender. The whole power. Um, but the is setting, <laughs> maybe, the um, setting there was also kind of, uh, for me, I felt it easier because, as I said, the people were very chilled, yeah. very zen. The, the nature, the weather, the sun on your face. It was amazing. Yeah, I know. And then But what happened? You, re what ha you returned to and Europe. Then, and I returned ah. to Europe, to Amsterdam, rainy days. And, you know, and I registered for a yoga school. I'm like, I'm just going to keep doing it here because yeah. it's really, it's, I, can, I connect, I go inwards with yoga. Uh, to my inwards and not to anyone else. And then what happens is this, Mark, really, like I just go to work and I already registered one day before for the yoga class and I'm stressed after work to really get to 
the uh, yoga school where I'm on the bike just and everyone is also rushed because it's five six o'clock seven everyone's going to the gym and I'm just there I'm just like chill and then my head is spinning and then she says the teacher says okay sit down five minute meditation but my head is thinking about all the things I did and I have to do tomorrow and I'm like oh I I was there present physically one hour long yoga but it's so different than it was in Bali. And so do you really need to be in Bali or in Fiji or any other spiritual place in Colombia or, I don't know, um, Guatemala? You have to admit that everywhere on planet Earth, including Amsterdam, is, is, uh, is the beauty, is the beauty. The one thing you can depend upon is the beauty of the cosmos, the beauty of Mother Earth. And everything on Mother Earth, all forms, all human life, all creatures, all flowers, all plants, are the beauty. So the great recommendation is, is that you take up your own yoga practice that's right for you, adapted to body breath, adapted to body type and age and health, adapted to your own human culture that you are from, you might be a Muslim, you might be an atheist, you might be a Rastafarian, you know, whatever is your culture. And we adapt yoga to your own life out of great respect for your life. And then as respect to life, you do your yoga at home, your own non-obsessive mm. practice, daily practice. That's the secret. That is what yoga actually is. The paradox is, you know, in this pandemic, we've had to return to doing yoga in the way that it always was, as sacred activity in your own sacred house, in your own sacred garden, wherever that is on Mother Earth, whether that's in Amsterdam or Bali. Everywhere is the sacred life. Everywhere is the beauty of life. Every person is the beauty that perceives beauty, you know, in this extraordinary mystery circumstance that we are of life on earth this eternity that is presently arising as you and me this beauty of all life you know and that's what yoga is now it might be true that we go you went to bali to learn it maybe that's why i teach in bali because it is an extraordinary place that hasn't been destroyed by colonialism for some reason the the fluke of of hinduism of veda flourished in bali in that uh, very precious island. It, it does serve a purpose for humanity, that beautiful place, that beautiful culture. But to think that we have to go there to live this lifestyle that we want to live, which is direct intimacy with life, reality as it is. Uh, no, you don't have to go there. You never have to go there. You know, you, you stay in your own home and learn how to do this, please, and then do it in your own home. And I say when I go, I go to Bali and my students come and we do teacher training, I say, you must leave Bali and go and look after your people. And we've done that. We've got two young men in Uganda right now who came and got a training, went back, and now they're so busy, you know, Heart of Yoga Africa. And we put out this immersion course. It's an eight-week online course, and people can do this course and it's on heartofyoga.com, our website. And the people can do the course and start practicing straight away in their own life. And it is transformative immediately to participate in your own breath. You know, whole body prayer to life, whole body moving and breathing where the breath is the basis of the movement. But it's more sincere. And we give it away by donation, you know. Anybody, no one should be restricted from yoga. Nobody. Is it a period, is the, the program, the workshop that you can do on heartofyoga.com, yeah. is that like a daily thing of two weeks, three weeks? How long does it take? It's an eight-week eight course and people do it at their own pace and leisure. But straight away, the first day, you get the principles of moving and breathing in a way that's right for you. And uh, it's, it's truly transformative. 
And it is participation in the beauty that is your own reality, you see. Everything is happening in one reality, which is the power of the cosmos, everything. So if somebody inspires you, you do this yoga in response to that inspiration, and it is your participation in what has inspired you. So it's a really important, it's a very important thing in this time and this desperate time in human history. So knowing that this biking to my yoga school and being there maybe for one hour, but actually with a lot of stress, knowing that it doesn't help me, doesn't even actually actualize my beauty, it brings me more yeah. stress. I can, for example, instead of that, go to Heart of Yoga and do this eight-week program on, on my own time, whatever that time is for me, my morning or the evening or what, whatever fits my own self. You could have stayed at home and done your own yoga at home by the time you would have got to the yoga class. Your yoga would have been finished and then you could be seeing a lovely friend, <laughs> having you know, a lovely leisurely evening. So what about this, uh, Mark? Like we talked a lot about the seeing our own beauty, uh, seeing the beauty, uh, actualizing the beauty in the sacred text. But how about um what does yoga do after it does with ourselves to our surroundings like maybe maybe there are people around me they are not doing yoga you know they they just don't do it and i do it but what what do i indirectly or directly add or uh, mean for that person around me uslam we're putting out a course called yoga for activists Now, what I say is that yoga is the first act of environmentalism because yoga is looking after the wild of Mother Nature, which is your own body. It's to embrace the wild, the powers, the harmonies that is life itself, that is your own body. And when we do that, it fills us full of energy and clarity of mind to then go and look after the rest of life. You know, I say, then we can be useful to others because we've been intimate with life itself and therefore I can go out and be intimate with all other aspects of life, you know, and clean up the environment, you know, stop illegal fishing, stop, stop um, this dreadful pandemic of cruelty to other humans, one dominating over another that dreadful affair that happened in this, to this world for the last 400 years through European colonialism, you know, and, and just understanding the, the dreadful fault of that in human life and, and standing for it and speaking. You know, Krishna said to Arjuna, the yogi, and 5,000 years ago, you must act. You know, you must do your life. Arjuna was afraid, you know, he didn't want to be there. He didn't want to fight the fight. <laughs> he want, just wanted to get out of there. And Krishna said to Arjuna, Krishna is a god, <laughs> the avataric appearance of God on, in human form, said, Krishna, Krishna says to Arjuna, you know, oh, Arjuna, sacrifice the inhale to the exhale. Sacrifice the exhale to the inhale. Be a yogi. Oh, Arjuna. And, it, and, and he said many other beautiful things. <laughs> no. Act free of the fruits of action. You, know, you must do your life and be free of what the results are going to be. Just do what you know to be true. Just you must act. Mm. No, don't have expectations. Yeah, but you must act. Of the results. Yeah, but take action. He also said if you're confused, you don't know what to do, then take the action of no action. You know, if you're confused, don't act because you might be doing the wrong thing. You know, wait till you're certain. Take the action of non-action if you are confused. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and do your yoga. That's a do nice one. Do your yoga, commit the inhale to the exhale. And the exhale, you know, give the inhale to the exhale. Sacrifice is the word that is... The Sanskrit word is translated in English as sacrifice. In other words, give. 
and it reprograms our systems, our nervous system, to be able to receive another and give to another, you see, this yoga. And then we know the action that we must take in this dreadful suffering world. And there's no doubt that, the, you know, if knowing the whole world isn't going to start doing yoga tomorrow. We're not going to become a paradise. Man's heaven has created a hell of this abundant paradise, you know. We've damaged our systems of Mother Nature so dreadfully. And we're not going to correct it immediately. But, you know, you can correct it in yourself by being intimate with life itself through your own non-obsessive daily yoga practice. And then you can go out and be helpful to others. And the, the, we can't expect the world to change. You know, we, we must, we're going to go on suffering the dreadful behaviors of society. They're not going to go away tomorrow. I wish. So we learn to keep being in life without, you know, without getting miserable about the conditions. Do I understand it right that you say first you have to be intimate with yourself, with life, yes. then you can be intimate with others and help yeah. them. And, and sometimes an action is a non-action, but you have to act. Yeah, you act when you are certain when you feel at least a clarity of what, you know, what needs to be done. So, okay, uh, this is, uh, I can listen to this for hours, Mark. Really, this is really nice. Thank you so much. I can feel your presence. Even you are in Fiji. I'm in Amsterdam now. Um, you have recently written a book, which is called God and Sex. And, uh, I haven't read your book yet. I know it's on Amazon. Yeah. I can find the Kindle version and also on hard copy. Can I find a hard copy to yeah, on yeah, Amazon? Yeah. Yes. And for me, you know, I grew up with the values of the Islam and the cultural also. The part was like, hey, there's no sex before a marriage. So like sex was a dimension in my life which you also not really talk about it's uh, you know it's not talked about but you know also it's not it's not allowed before you get married and i'm really interested in reading your book god and sex if you you know you have put most probably a lot of attention energy into writing this book a lot of experience you had over the past uh, so many years what do you think people that will read this book will learn? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful question. The, and the whole title is, the subtitle is, Now We Get Both, God and Sex. Now We Get Both. And that could be any sincere couple talking to each other, but it's also the public statement, you know, and it's this cultural phenomena of separating God and sex as, this, as if they're two separate phenomena has vulgarized both and made both useless and both harmful. You know, and you might have lurched yourself out of your, you know, your, the, you know, the historic behaviors of religious patterning around sex. And then you, you, know, you sort of go wild and free in the Western cities of wherever they are, you know. And, yeah, and then, yeah. then, and and then free, there's yeah. just more trouble because there's no change, you know. There's no change in the patterning that was created by the uh, uh, religious imposition and, you know, the denial of the feminine and the denial of motherhood, the denial of sex. And it's an insanity that's been put on humanity. And it's no good to just like think that you can go wild and free because that patterning is still going to be in the body and mind. And it's very traumatizing, you see, to women and, and to men. Yeah, they experiment. How about the other side? How about the other side going wild and free and also like not doing anything before marriage or I don't know, like... Because it's not allowed, you know, it's not in the Christianity, it's not in the Judaism, not in the Islam. See, neither work, do they? Yes. You know, we sort of, you no. either have, 
you know, some, you know, crazy glamorized idea of celibacy. You're some sort of righteous spiritual person because you're not having sex. Or then you go to the other side of it and do all kinds of aberrated sexing. And then that makes you miserable too. And everybody's miserable. Now, there must be a sexual wisdom given to the world. And there must be a practical means, which is, I'm saying it is a steady daily yoga practice that reprograms the nervous system to become receptive of life itself, receptive to life, therefore receptive to another. And then the sexual patterning that we got from our ancestors will change. And it is our duty to do that now for society, for ourselves and society. You know, that we, this receptive inhalation through the crown and frontal line of the body all the, all the way to the base, to the genitals, uh, is a receiving of life. The nervous system learns how to receive you know, not just be strong and macho and penetrating and painful, emptying, emptying, you see, emptying of the male, painful to, the fe- to women. It just doesn't work. But when any person becomes, does a little yoga practice, then even their strength in life, their penetrating force in life is then in the context of receptivity the context of receptivity. And then, then it is beautiful. Then we can have a sexual practice that is um, the beautiful collaboration of male and female as equals and opposites, where one empowers the other in an endless exchange, which is the very substance of life. That is real life, you see. It is the nurturing of life. That's what it is, this equal and opposites in union that reveals the source of both, you see, reveals the heart. This is what the ancient yogas were doing. This is what the ancient wisdom cultures were doing. They hadn't even invented um, patriarchy. It didn't exist. You know, they didn't, they hadn't invented the, the model of the perfect person, you know, the male power holder that was implying that everybody else was not perfect. This, be, this became an instrument of public control that created our civilization, our present civilization. They hadn't even thought up that idea. They, were, they hadn't thought up the idea of male dominance. It wasn't a thing in these ancient wisdom uh, yoga cultures. As I say, equal and opposite, one empowering the other. One empowering yeah, in the, the other. receptivity, where receptivity is at least half the equation, and the penetration is in the context of the ability to receive, to receive another, to receive life. And this is what a yoga practice will give you. And then, you know, God and sex, now you get both. You get participation in the power of life and you get intimacy with the tangible conditions of life, including with uh, a, a beautiful person of your choice. And I'm saying this is as true in same-sex intimacy as in opposite-sex intimacy. This is true in whatever gender identification you have or may not or, or none at all, perhaps. It's, it's because all of life is the union of opposites. You know, an atom is a union of opposites. A rock is the union of opposites. All creatures, all plants, a flower is the gesture of sex, the exchange of opposite chemistries, you know. All of life is that. Do you think these opposites, like men and women, need each other in order to... Um fulfill each other you said something they empower each other but also they they need to get together in order to fulfill or each other i just qualify qualify that nobody needs to get with anybody else because everybody is already completed there's no requirement mm. for this you don't need yes. to do it however 
not to religiously glamorize that idea and think that it's some pathway to God because it is not. It's actually dissociation from life and dissociation from God that's caused us all this trouble and turned sex into dreadful, vulgar activity all around this world. It'd be better not to have anything to do with it, frankly, until a yoga practice, an easy daily yoga practice is established where you're becoming receptive through the whole frontal line of the body to the base. Then, it, then sex does become something very useful and it becomes the very means of realizing God, the source of all, the source of opposites, the heart, you know, the source of all opposites, the literal source of opposites. See, my mother, father came together, male, female. They came into a perfect harmony, a perfect intelligence, a perfect beauty, and one cell was created. Hey, it was me. Here yes. I am. <laughs> I am life on earth. Yeah. Within three days, all my spine grew and my whole head appeared. That beauty that every mother and father knows when they see their babies, that beauty that is life itself is still functioning as you and me. That power, that harmony. I love it. It's what life is. Yeah. And it is our birthright to participate in that and enjoy that. As as I said, there's no need to do it because you're already completed. It's just you and the universe, how beautiful. But it's that there's a move. My teacher used to say, Mother Nature has one interest. God has one interest, and that is to duplicate an improved version of yourself before you leave the planet. It's the evolution of species, you see, as the continuity of species. It's a very big drive in us. And to deny it, suppress it, has caused great havoc in our society, dreadful carnage. It's, a, it's the consideration of our time. I'm just really curious what you think about this, Mark, actually. Like in the Western world, the Amsterdam area, uh, you know, but I think maybe also in the Middle East, I'm not fully sure how that is used, but there are a lot of dating apps since six, seven, eight years yeah. maybe. And people are with different intentions on the app. Some people are for the sex on the app. Some people want to have relationships yeah. uh, with someone. Uh, or they want to just spend time with people because, you know, they, they, they enjoy life more if they are together. But it can also be misused. And people tend to think it's misused only by men. Uh, but... I also think it can be misused by women too. It's not only men. What do you, what is your viewpoint on all these dating apps where men and women are present to find the one or to find someone to spend a night with or, uh, or I need someone in order to, I don't know. What, what is your viewpoint as a person which many amount of uh, life experience, actually. Look, it's all naive experiment to try to, to try to do something about the dreadful denial of life and the dreadful denial of sex, which is the common activity of civilization all around this world. And it's sort of like a modern Western technology attempt to get a solution. And right. Yeah, but it's, it's a naive attempt. And I'm saying until somebody actually starts being intimate with their life, don't, like, don't even think about sex or getting sex or getting somebody. Don't do that until you've got yes. an actual yoga practice established where you can become receptive through the frontal line and then receive life and receive another in, a, you know, in an honest, real exchange. Uh, an exchange of beauty, an exchange of energy, of pranas, you know, with with another person of your choice, same sex or opposite sex, intimacy or any gender identification or none. And when that yoga is established, then we can go out and be real about it. So where the three L's are present, that you like somebody, you love somebody, and you lust somebody, you know. You, what was the last one? You? Lust. Lust. L-U-S-T. Oh, lust somebody. Okay, yes, okay. Like, love, lust. 
Yeah, there must be that there for a relationship to be real. And it won't be there if you're not receptive. If you're not you know, a strong base and spine that is utterly receptive to the nature of life itself. That's the first priority. And then if the, the three L's will arise, because that's what life is doing. And lust has had a dreadful history because there's lust without liking and loving. And it's, that's dreadful. It's painful and useless. And, it's, and now it's sort of degraded. But, you know, lust is God's method. It, it makes sure that the right polarity is there for the benefit of the continuity of the species and the, you know, the choice of biologies that's right for a person. And it's to be honored. Desire is to be honored, not denied. And the bringing, bring dignity and graciousness to sex, the male-female union, which is all life, the nurturing force of all life. Bring that to the world. And Krishnamacharya did exactly that, and he did his best under the patronage of the king of Mysore and all of that. But then it got interrupted by the bravado of young men who sort of took a bit of teaching and ran with it and turned it into business. The obsession with male gymnastics, you know, that's been picked up and popularized as yoga all over the world by men and women. And then, you know, then we got this, this mess on our hands because it's not, actual, not actually yoga and the public were denied actual yoga. It was hidden from them by this popularization of yoga. And as you said yourself, you know, most of the world is intimidated. They think it's silly. People just say all the time, oh, I'm not flexible enough to do yoga. Yeah. And they don't do it. And if they do it, you know, it's not doing anything for them. So I think this time of the pandemics is a very, the silver lining is an opportunity for people to learn a real yoga for themselves. And, you know, and don't try to, be successful in sex or anything until there is an actual yoga because otherwise you'll just be duplicating the aberrations of your parents that went before and the the society that you came out of you know i think that to take up a yoga is a way of making uh, islam real and useful making christianity real and useful buddhism hinduism judaism and or and even like atheists, you know, atheists will become intimate with his own life, which is what they are longing for too, and intimacy with others. Everybody's pining for it. We have to give the practical means for everybody to, to have it, you know. So, Mark... To participate in their own life. I really uh, love our conversation, but we are coming to an end. And just to yeah. sum it a little bit up, what we talked about, we talked about the relationship with yoga that you can have and the uh, intimacy it, you can have with yourself by doing yoga. And we talked about your book, God and Sex. And now you can have it both. That's the subtitle. We talked about the workshop, the eight-week-long uh, workshop um, of, on heartofyoga.com. Is, are there any activities coming up or how can people reach out to you? Do you, ha you use Instagram, Facebook, or yeah. uh, how, if you can tell a little bit about that? Yeah, daily we post on Instagram and give a teaching and an image that we feel could be useful to the world. So that's a nice thing. And your Instagram is at Mark Whitwell? It's my name, yeah. Your name, Just okay. my name, yeah. And all the um, other activity we do is on heartofyoga.com. And it's a very interesting world we're living in where we, we've had to turn to these systems of light. You know, I say light down glass tubes around this world where, you know, you and I can have this beautiful conversation and I can meet you and really meet you, like really know you. 
a little bit, you yeah. know. It can be nice to meet physically too, but, you know, in your city and say hello. But it's not possible right now, so we have this other means. And I find that the yeah. whole world is now turning to light down glass fiber uh, to be with each other and learn from each other and learn the great wisdom traditions. And I think that the, this response to the wisdom traditions, to the pre-doctrinal yogas that were there before humanity invented power structure and religion without yoga, that got us into this mess of plundering Mother Earth until we've almost you know, ruined our own nest here with industry and toxic manufacturing and corporate agriculture and this whole mess that we've got ourselves into. A response, a practical response is to return to the wisdom traditions and implement that in your own life and your in local community. You know, a teacher is no more than a friend and no less than a friend. It's the force of Mother Nature's nurturing in local community where we care for each other. And we have to do that now. We care for each other in local community. You know, local food, clean energy, et cetera, et cetera. Urgently do that. And thank you yeah. for being a champion of that and holding the torch high in this world for that. But I do think it's a very practical and needed response to this very difficult time that humanity is in. Thank you so much, Mark. Yeah. I really appreciate that you made some time to bring your message, enlighten us about yoga. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, as my teacher said, you're the hope of humanity. You won't be exploited by anybody. You're not second to anyone and you're not superior to anyone. All of that is just a social thought structure, a mind contrivance that's not there at all. You know, you are your own authority, your own power of life. And yoga is your embrace of that fact. Thank you so much for listening. If you have loved this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. You can find me on Instagram at Ozkan Ozlem at O-Z-K-A-N O-Z-L-E-M If you want to let me know what you have enjoyed or you want to share your takeaways with me or you want to let me know what you want to hear in the next episode of Bridging find the latest post on Instagram and leave a comment or ask a question. Thank you so much for listening.